If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be opening to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And Matt, thank you for that prayer. I think that will go hand in hand with some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Uh, today we, uh, we pick up where we left off a few weeks ago in our series on World Game Changer. And I know what you're thinking. I know some of you are saying, hey, preacher, that whole uh, World Games thing has already moved on, so uh, your little play on words doesn't, doesn't work anymore because the World Games has left Birmingham, uh, to which I would reply the World Games was actually playing off my sermon series, so now I can go as long as I want. Um, but in all seriousness, I'm grateful for the impact that the World Games uh, had on our city. And uh, I appreciate the words of the great musicianary Kevin Kilpatrick. He said, I'm proud to call Birmingham home. We'll do whatever I can to keep this new energy and momentum going in the future. Uh, so Kevin has agreed to sign up for sumo wrestling next time the World Games comes around. And uh, for that, we are very grateful. Um, but we, we have experienced something in our community. We have experienced something in our, our city uh, this past month that has uh, been unprecedented, something that we'll, we'll likely not experience in our lifetimes again. Uh, so uh, we didn't get to personally attend any of the, the World Games, but my family and I got to watch several of the events on television and got to see kind of the different aspects of the World Games. Uh, and one of the most common conversations that revolved around the World Games was, you know, who was the greatest? Or, you know, which country sent the greatest representatives in that particular sport or that particular field? So whether it be sumo wrestling, or whether it be break dancing, or whether it be corf ball, or whether it be flag football, uh, the, the question was, okay, who, who was the greatest to play these games? And this is nothing new. This question has been circling around for centuries now. Matter of fact, Jesus' disciples argued about that very question. So in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 1, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. So one of the things that you'll notice throughout this whole series that we've been in is that we are looking at, at passages primarily that have this phrase in them, kingdom of God. We've said that our, our vision at this church is that we want to see kingdom devoted disciples, making disciples of nations and generations. But, but what does it mean to seek first this kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? Why did Jesus talk about the kingdom of God more than anything else? The good news of this kingdom He proclaimed more than anything else He talked about in Scripture. So it would be valuable for us to spend time contemplating and studying and thinking and living out what it means to be a part of this kingdom. Uh, I couldn't help but driving in this morning, you know, just since it had been a few weeks, just kind of taking, taking the, the scenery all in again as I pulled in the parking lot. And you see these high ceilings in this, this building, this structure. And then on, right above me on top of this, there's a what? There's a, there's a steeple that is even higher than the highest point of this ceiling. And what was the architectural design, what was the architectural intent for steeples on church buildings? It was to, to help us look up, to help us to see up, to see 
and be pointed to God who is in heaven. But as we read Scripture, it might be more appropriate for us not to have a steeple on our church building, but to have a ladder. Because we read Jesus' prayer of His kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. That, 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 that heaven comes down through Jesus. And so there is almost this Jacob's ladder effect of, yes, we, we want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We want to keep our eyes fixed on God. But we also want to pray for His kingdom to come, His will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So Mark tells us six days later after this verse in Mark 9-1. He tells Peter, James, and John, they've just experienced Jesus' transfiguration. So they go up to this mountain, and in Jesus' clothes, they go from a standard def to 4K Ultra HD. I mean, he just is glowing on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's talking to Elijah and Moses, the great prophet, the great lawgiver. So just think of your favorite preacher besides me, and think of your favorite Sunday school teacher and kind of put those two up, and, and, and you're looking at them and you're, you're saying, wow, they've had such an influence in my life. This is some of what the disciples would have been experiencing at that moment, the great prophet, the great lawgiver. And then a voice from the cloud says, this is my son, this is Jesus, listen to him. Hear ye him. I know you've listened to these other guys, and, and that's been impactful in your life, but, but my son has now come on the scene. Listen to him. And, and one curious thing about this in Mark 9 is that Peter, James, and John could not tell anyone about that until Jesus' resurrection. If you read the text, you'll see they, they can't tell anyone about what they just saw until Jesus' resurrection. But, but they don't even know what that means. I mean, at this point, they don't, they, you know, what, what is Jesus' resurrection, what is, what is Him rising again even, even mean? And so you think that being a disciple of Jesus is hard today. Can you imagine what these disciples were experiencing? And right after this, they rejoined the other disciples, and they must be arguing about something dealing with the crowd. And how do we know this? Because Jesus comes on the scene, Mark 9, 16, and what does He say? What are you arguing about with the crowd? He asked him the question, like, what are you arguing about? And it's about a boy who's possessed with an impure spirit, and, and the boy can't talk. And so his father asked the disciples to drive out this spirit, and the disciples can't do it. So the father asked Jesus, if, if you can. Show pity on us and help us. To which Jesus responds, if, if I can, can you just hear? And this is, not, I, don't, I really don't think this is a condescending tone or, or comment from Jesus. I really believe that this is just a, a loving representation of what Mark has already been building upon for these past several chapters, and that's the authority of Jesus. Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the dad says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Has anybody else ever said that? I do believe. Help, help me overcome my unbelief. He heals the boy and then Jesus and his disciples leave. 
Jesus tells them that he's going to be killed and that he's going to rise again, but they don't understand. And at this point, they're a little too afraid to even ask. And so we pick up in Mark 9, verse 33. Follow along in the text. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. This is the second time in Mark chapter 9 that this question, what are you arguing about, has come from Jesus. You you would think that these, these guys are always arguing about something. What are you arguing about? And they had been arguing about who was the greatest, this question that we started with just a few moments ago. Who was the goat? Who was the greatest of all time? This is what they're arguing about. And we still see these arguments happening today. I mean, when I took a little break from social media, but when I was on social media, it's like I get a, a pop-up every now and then, like, who's the greatest, Michael Jordan or LeBron or Larry Bird? Who's the, great, who's the goat? You know, like this is just constantly in my feet, you know. Who's the greatest of all time? This is what they were arguing about. And did you notice that the Scripture says they kept quiet? They kept quiet because that talk goes when the kingdom comes. That talk goes away when the kingdom of God comes near. But this church is, is better than, but that, but that preacher is, is better than that. If we're not careful, we fall into the same consumer-driven shopping experience trap that our culture is. And so, where can I get the best value at the least cost? And what's curious about this conversation is that, that, and watch this, Jesus doesn't let this go. He doesn't just, you know, there's times that I'll be (laughs) arguing about something with my kids, you know, and then after a point, I just got to let it go, all right? I just got to, you know, move on. Jesus doesn't let this go. He comes back to it in Mark chapter 10. He calls them back into the huddle, and he said, hey, we're going to call this play again. Come on, let's get back in the huddle, guys. I'm going to call this play again, and this time I'm going to invite you to run it right. I'm going to invite you to run it the way that I called it originally. Invites them back into the huddle. This is what it says, Mark 10, verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Did you catch that? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus drops this world game changing reality on his disciples. And he doesn't let up. Peter's thinking, we got this. I mean, can can you hear this? Not in scripture, but can you just hear Peter? (laughs) We got this. (laughs) Like you can do miracles. 
You can turn fishes and loaves into an all-you-can-eat buffet. You can heal the sick, Jesus. You're the ultimate presidential candidate. You're the CEO. You're a military commander and a pastor all rolled into one. We got this. Finally, the kingdom of God is back, baby. Can you just hear Peter? He's ready to go. We got this. And then Jesus says, I must suffer and be killed. What? And if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, and in so doing, you will save it. Think about the context of the Gospel of Mark. The first eight chapters, there's 16 chapters, the shortest gospel written. The first eight chapters, what is Mark going over and over? The kingship and the authority of Jesus. He had authority over the wind and the waves. He had authority over food supplies. He had authority over the demonic. He had authority over the sick. He even had authority over death. This picture is being painted for eight straight chapters. And then we get to chapter 9. Chapters 9 through 16, this is what kind of king Jesus is going to be. And this is how you follow him. And so have you ever considered what it may have looked like for his disciples to begin living out this call to serve? I want to show you this scene from the series, The Chosen. This is being shown with express permission from The Chosen. The website will be available in your comments, or you can download The Chosen app on your device to have access to their content. Let's take a look. This village. Let's leave it to the boss. Eh? What do you think? Dinner at the treasure or the high priest? Neither. Dinner with whom then? You know, there are a lot of people who want to talk to him. Yes, but he wants to make dinner. That's the errand. Eh? That's the errand. Yeah. You guys are really enjoying this being in the know, huh? <laughs> Coming from you, Simon. What is that? He told us his plans. So, Matthew, distribute the money accordingly. Thaddeus, buy bread enough for 12, 13 people. Leaven, unleavened rice, sprouted spill. Uh, assortment, your choice. 13? Who are the others? Little James, buy a leg of lamb, including the knuckle and the filet. No, no, two, two legs of lamb. We only have... Andrew, grapes, currants, cherries. Cherries, if you can find them. This trip, we will not have enough for... At the start of this trip, we didn't expect to find a bag of gold, did we? We're putting it to good use. Simon. Yes, master. Three skins of wine. Done. Matthew, <laughs> black pepper, chives, salt, olive oil. At this cost, you will not make it to Judea. Have faith, Matthew. In him. Mary, look for leeks, garlic, and onions. Okay? What are you guys going to do? We are going to get out of the streets. Why? Samaria's biggest problem. Too many Samaritans. Mm. So as we consider the ministry of Jesus in the scriptures, have you ever paused to take time to, to think about, you know, who, who rode the boat? <laughs> 
Who, who bought the groceries? Who, who washed and, and folded the towels? Who baked the bread? Who cleaned the fish? Who set the table? Like we, we don't get a lot of these details in the text, but one has to infer that these things happened, right? On the screen you'll see a picture of Lindell McDonald. You may not know Lindell McDonald, but he served in one of the most critical roles during the World Games. Uh, he was the person responsible for creating and facilitating staging and production props for the opening and closing ceremonies of the World Games. Two-time graduate of the University of Alabama, earned his bachelor's and master's degrees in design and technical production. We'll give a shout out to the University of Alabama since we had the, the Auburn thing earlier, just to keep it balanced this morning. But he's worked in production for over 20 years. So, so while you and I were hearing names like Lionel Richie and Yolanda Adams and the Blind Boys of Alabama and Bo Bice and Sarah Evans and Taylor Hicks, we were hearing all these names. It was hometown folks like Lindell behind the scenes that made everything happen, that made it work. Here's my point. So much of ministry happens behind the scenes. It happens behind the scenes. It happens in, in the quiet. It happens without the, 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 the fame or the, the, the upfrontness of things. And so the church building gets unlocked on Sunday mornings. The AC has to get turned on at some point. Amen? <laughs> the baptistry's full and usually warm. A few members get here hours before service to prepare coffee and food. Other members get here early to make sure that folks are greeted and feel welcome. The praise team gets here early to warm up and to get ready for the day. The tech arts team gets here to turn everything on, make sure everything is working. The materials for children's classes are prepared and, and teachers show up and teach Jesus. The teen class, the college class, the adult classes are prepared. The nursery is attended. There are diapers and changing pads available, amen. The bathrooms are clean and stocked. The prayer list is gathered and it's acted upon, it's prayed for. These things don't just happen week after week after week. Somebody does them. And there's a good chance that you don't know the names of the people that I just rattled off that whole list. But you know that they mostly get done because someone stepped up, someone volunteered to serve, not because they see it as a chore, because they see it as what it means to walk with Jesus. Can you imagine if we all saw it that way? Which brings me just to a few challenges that I want to offer to us this morning. And the first one is this that we must exchange what can the church do for me with what can the church do through me? What can Christ do through me when I offer myself as a, as a living sacrifice to him? You, you hear me say it often, but I, I believe it to be true, and that is that my role is, is no more important than anybody else's here. You, you may be here this morning, you, you, it may have taken all that you uh, could muster up just to be here this morning, and I, I praise God that you're here. I praise God that you're here. There, there's something that the past two years, as Matt alluded to a moment ago, that, that the past two years have taken a toll uh, at many churches, and, and ours is no exception. But the church was never intended to be served up to you by a few folks putting on a production in your living room. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. That's Netflix. 
that, that we are supposed to be together. And I want to be careful here because I get comments every week about people who are joining online because of health reasons. And I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that you're joining us and that we have the technology to do that. I get comments every week about, about people, even my family was out of town and we joined online just a few weeks ago. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not, it's not the pot call, calling the kettle black here. I'm grateful for our tech arts ministry. Don't misunderstand me. There, there's even days I'm sure that there are seasoned followers of Jesus who need to just come and receive. But more often you need to be asking, what can the church do through me rather than for me? And as Matt said just a few moments ago, it's not just on Sunday mornings. This is not just a Sunday morning adventure, but it happens Monday through Saturday, the other six days. I went to visit longtime member Raymond Tanner this week. You'll see a picture of him on the screen. And I'm sorry, he's got an Alabama hat on. That's two times. I should have just left it. I just, just left it at one reference. Uh, Raymond used to live across the parking lot at the Regency Retirement Village. And I can't tell you the number of times that I looked out my window and see, see him walking across the parking lot on his walker two hours before church service started so that he could be in that chair right out front and welcome you when you got here. This is how Raymond served. And I got down on my knees today at, at, or this past week when I was with Raymond, I just got down on my knees and I just held his hand. I just looked him in the eye and I said, Raymond, you, you'll never know how much that encouraged me. You'll never know what that meant to me to see you in the parking lot, walking across the parking lot with your walker two hours before church service started. Now who's going to walk up to me today and say, preacher, I just can't get here on time. I had tears in my eyes when I, when I told Raymond that this week. And, and you may say, well, nobody asked me to serve. Well, here's the next slide. This, here's your sign. You're, you're invited. You're welcome. <laughs> there's, your, there's your invitation. You're, in, you're invited into this, this life. Because we're not disciples because we serve. This is point number two. We're, we serve because we are disciples. And so, listen, church, this is, this is really not a guilt trip to try to get you to serve. <laughs> this is an opportunity for you to respond to the question, what can, can the church do through me? I mean, do you have a heart to welcome people the way that you've been welcomed here? You'll see on the screen, Beverly Bendall, go and, and talk to Beverly. Or the next picture, John Novak, go and talk to John. They would love to invite you into to welcoming people. Do you have a heart for the next generation uh, to co-teach or help with even set up or clean up? Go see Morgan Airy or our student minister, Justin Peach. They would love for you to serve in that way. Do you have a heart to use technology to bless others? Go see James Rasco. Do you have a heart to help start a small group or help co-lead a small group? Go and see Chris Richardson, our connections minister. Do you have a song in your heart that can be used to glorify God and bless others? Go see Kevin. Do you have a heart for missions and the amazing things that God is doing through Virunga Valley Academy in Rwanda? Go see Matt Miller. His picture's not on the screen, but you saw his face just a moment ago. What about local outreach? 
things that are happening in our community every week. Go see Willie Christman. But, but here's, here's the point. Here's a little secret. The staff is here to serve you. The staff is here to equip you. But, but what if you just started serving right where you were at? Like, what if you didn't even need us? Our next door neighbor for the first 14 years of my life um, was a family that we're still close to. I haven't, we haven't lived next to them in, in over 25 years now. But the, they, they had uh, two boys and a girl in their family. We had two boys and a girl in our family. And the girl in their family, uh, her, her name was Amy. And Amy got married in, in 2000 uh, to her high school sweetheart. They met working together at the Piggly Wiggly. So if you're looking for a spouse, there's a Piggly Wiggly up, up, up the top of the hill. <clears throat> but they started working together. They, they got married. And um, they've been married, they were married for 21 years. And Amy's husband uh, passed away this past year due to COVID at the age of 42. And what you're going to see on the screen is, is, a, is a picture of a camp that Amy started last week. It's called Better Together. And she invited kids who have lost a mom or dad in their neighborhood to be a part of that camp. There was 14 campers that came. They sang songs of of praise to God. They went on hikes together. They just spent the week together. You think those kids won't remember that? You think those kids won't think years from now, oh, I'm not alone. One of the lies that, that, of the enemy that Justin preached on just a few weeks ago, oh, you're alone. You're the only one going through this. You think those kids didn't find community in, in this, this camp? A modern-day widow who was willing to step out and say, Here, here's my two coins. God, I don't have much, but this is what I got. And I'm going to make sure these kids know that they're loved. I'm going to make sure these kids know that they are, are valuable, that they have purpose in their lives. And I'm not going to let the enemy destroy that. Can you imagine? Or maybe more locally, and I didn't ask her for permission to show this, but Connie Rudolph and her husband Larry hosting kids in their neighborhood, studying God's Word together. You'll see this picture. Kids from the neighborhood just coming over and, and gathering on their back porch, and them just studying God's Word together. Like, here's my fishes and my loaves, God. This is what I got. What, what can you do with that? Oh, I'll show you what I can do with that. Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. This was Mark chapter 10. And just a few chapters later in Mark chapter 14, if you're following along, flip over to Mark 14, verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? I want you to notice those two words. They leapt off the page for me as, as I was thinking about this, the context of this message. Kevin actually shared this, this with me at lunch a few weeks ago uh, from a friend of his who had, who had shared this. And, and I, it, just, it just made so much sense. The disciples had to do what they had to make preparations. Maybe the video that you saw just a moment ago, maybe that was just some type of a picture of an idea of what this could have looked like. And so as we prepare for our time of communion, 
If you did not receive the communion elements on your way in or the packet, uh, if you'll just raise your hand, we'll have one of the praise team members bring that to you. As they're passing those out, in, in Matthew chapter 26, this is Matthew's account of the same story. The chief priests and the scribes are plotting to kill Jesus. And then you, you go to this other big scene. Jesus is in Bethany and he's in the house of Simon the leper. And then this woman anoints his head and, and with this very ex expensive ointment. And then you cut to Judas selling out to Jesus. And then we're on this other big scene that's coming up, the upper room. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, on the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Here's that question again. He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. The stuff didn't just happen. These disciples saw a need and they went about meeting it. They were paying attention. They initiated action. They were engaged enough to be able to see that there was work to do, that there were preparations that needed to be made for Passover. They didn't wait for others to do what needed to be done. They didn't just expect that, hey, somebody's going to handle those preparations. Somebody's going to make that dinner reservation right. They didn't have to be prodded or begged. The disciples didn't even have to be asked. They simply asked the Master. And they followed his instructions. Matthew and Mark, they're simply just referred to as disciples. It's not until we get to Luke's account that we realize that it's Peter and John. And this is, this is not Peter full of the Spirit preaching the sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter. This is not John who just got back from his best-selling book tour on the book of Revelation, John. This is just two simple fishermen that are doing what needed to be done, that are serving their master. Jesus did not need their super ability. He just needed their availability. So 2,000 years later, he wants the same from his followers today. The good news of the gospel is that the finished work of Jesus on the cross means that we no longer have to work for our salvation. We receive it. And from his saving grace in our lives, we serve. Let's remember the sacrifice of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection as we pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we eat the bread, we remember your Son, our Savior, the hope of the world. May the meaning of this meal nourish us as we become more like him, servants. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The body of Christ given for you.
sorry for the cup. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that takes away the sin of the world. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we confess before you our sins this morning. We do that right now. And so we pray, forgive us, Lord, restore us, make us whole again. For we realize in the receiving of this cup, we are receiving the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sins. And life in him has been given to us, the blood of Christ given for us. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. The blood of Christ given for you. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare your living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted of the sweetest of when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone, your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come
Amen. Let this meal be our nourishment as we go out this week, as we go from the gathered church to the scattered church. May the body and blood of Jesus be that which propels us. I want to say thank you for your giving. It makes a difference whether you're giving online or if you give in the foyer on your way out. We praise God for those gifts and continue to pray for the way that we steward those resources. You may never realize how your service or gift impacts someone else. I'll close with this, that uh, when before Laney and I stepped into the, the role that we're in now, before I was the preaching minister of this church, uh, we served back in children's worship. And um, that's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot going on in children's worship. And we had to make, you know, sacrifices to do that as before we had kids. And so we would go back there, we would serve. And uh, there was weeks that I was just like, I don't, God, I don't think these kids are getting anything that I'm, I'm saying. Like I, I just, uh, there was just weeks that I just didn't think that anything was, was being done in a fruitful way. And that was until um, 2014, one of the young boys who had been in children's worship had just uh, decided that he wanted to give his life to Christ and to be baptized into him. And so he wanted his grandfather to baptize him right here in this baptistry. And he called me and he said, um, Brett, I just, I just remember your influence on me during children's worship. And I, I would like for you to be in the baptistry when my grandfather baptizes me. And I just thought at that moment, you know, God, God, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to show me. You didn't have to, you didn't have to do that. But by his grace, he opened up the heavens just for a moment. He said, you don't know what I can do. You don't know the blessing that I can be through you if you just allow me to. So that's our charge this week. Don't ever underestimate what the Lord can do with your fishes and loaves. If today's the day that you want to receive Christ and be baptized into him. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Also, if you have any prayer needs, there'll be a shepherd down front and a shepherd and his spouse back in, in this room in the chapel that you can go for a more private setting. Let's pray and then we'll stand and sing. Father, we thank you again just for the, the blessing of this day. We thank you uh, for your word, a word that challenges us and, and inspires us and a reminder of, of your reckless love that we don't, we don't serve to, to get good credits with you. Uh, we serve because you are already a God who has been good to us. You're already a God who has paid the ultimate price for us. You're already a God who has displayed his love in so many ways. So we thank you for that love. And may we share that love with others this week. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Will you stand? Let's sing together.